Hello and welcome to The Rabbit Hole, the definitive developer's podcast, Fantabulous Chelsea, Manhattan. I'm your host, Michael Nunez. Our co-host today, Dave Anderson. And our producer, William Jeffries. And today, we'll be talking about organizing a conference and what it takes to do one. But before we begin, we have a special guest today, the awesome and the infamous Saran Yabarik. Saran, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Before you begin, I just wanted to ask, what are you up to these days? How's it going? How are things? <laughs> it's going pretty well over here in sunny California. I know you're jealous all the way over there in Chelsea. Yes. Uh, but it's going well. I uh, recently launched season two of a podcast called the Base CS Podcast, where we teach computer science fundamentals through short, fun, 20-minute audio episodes. Really excited about that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And I'm also hosting a podcast from Red Hat called Command Line Heroes. I think we're on episode five. I feel like I should know that. And I'm working on the conference Codeland, which is happening May 4 and 5 in New York City. Very cool. Very cool. Sounds like you're keeping quite busy. Yeah, a lot to do. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So since you'll be coming on over to New York to have a conference, uh, let's just jump right to it. First off, I imagine a conference can cost some kind of money and one would need a budget. Could you elaborate a little <laughs> on how that works? Sure. Just getting straight to the dollars. Okay. Oh, we could oh, do yeah. that. Be the, that's it. You know, two minutes is 90 seconds in New York. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, there is definitely a budget involved. Uh, and actually to figure it out the first time, because this is our second Codeland conference, we did one last year in New York City as well. The first thing I did was I reached out to some of my favorite conferences that I attended or I spoke at. And I said, hey, how much should things cost? And the piece of advice that everyone gave me was to have a budget such that your ticket sales can cover your expenses and then anything you get from sponsors is profit. Now, that's for you. That's for your your work and your efforts. So I've tried really, really hard to stick with that. So, you know, big budget items usually include venue, food, if you decide to cover speaker fees, which I think that you should, you know, speaker travel and expenses. And really, it's just kind of, you know, your own time, your own sweat and labor, that kind of thing. We're really, really lucky that Microsoft is hosting us for the venue. So we didn't have to pay for that. So that, you know, removed a huge, usually the main, the biggest line item off of our budget. So especially that, that in helped. New York, yeah. That's oh, great. God, definitely, especially in New York. So really excited to be hosted by them again for the second time. But yeah, those are like the main things, speaker stuff, signage, food, and venue. Cool. So do you make it a point to try to arrange for like honorarium or some kind of compensation for people for their time? You mean for speakers? Yeah, for speakers. So what we do is on the CFP, we have a section that basically says, what do you need in terms of money? And you can put anything you want in there, whether it's travel, uh, fees, speaker fees, flight, whatever it is. So we just go by that. And we don't look at that to you know decide if you get in or not. But what I've learned is some people are not allowed to take speaker fees. Some like it's just against company policy. Some of them need those speaker fees as part of you know how they make money, how they make a living. Some have companies covering for them and sponsoring them and some don't. So instead of having like a, a one fit solution for everyone, I just said, you tell me what I need to do to get you to come. And assuming it's not anything you know wild and yeah. out there, I will do my best to accommodate you. Sounds like that makes it a lot easier for you. Yeah, makes it a lot easier. Yeah, actually, Dave is going to be speaking at conference pretty soon. Mm-hmm. I wonder, could you shed some insight as to how you how you do your speaker selection process? 
Oh, I love answering that question. Absolutely. So we have a programming committee. And this year, we actually we had over 400 people submit to speak. So I started with a programming committee of 12. And then I had to like find find more people because there were so many applications to review. And so what I do is I try to get a committee that is really, really diverse in terms of background, skill set, experience, age, race, like everything. Like I try to have a really, really super diverse programming committee. And the reason for that is because, you know, I know that a lot of committees do like blind reviews. And I think that's that's helpful. You know, it can be helpful. But at the end of the day, no matter whether whether or not you actually see the applicant, you are still bringing your own biases, your own, you know, personal interests, your own opinions into that process. So the way I think about it is, if you're going to do that, I would like to make up teams that have different biases and interests and things that they care about. Yeah, so that makes sense. I, right? Yeah. And so I take that team of 18 people and I divide them into review groups. So each group is three people. And in each group, I try to have you know people with the, the two most important things I care about are skill level and how they learn to code. So making sure not, not everyone came from boot camp, not everyone in that little group came from uh, a university getting a CS degree. And I try to have at least one really junior person, one really senior person. And from there, I give them a rubric. So I have them answer or rate the talk on five different questions. And then I take the, you know, the the average of a four or above. And that final selection goes to me. And then I pick my favorites from there. Oh, cool. Yeah. So you're making the final call and there's mm-hmm. I guess, some, co- some cohesion in the final results. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing that, you know, is because people always ask, you know, why did I get selected? What's wrong with my talk? And a lot of times, there's nothing wrong with your talk. Your talk is great. But if, you know, out of the 400 applications, if 30 people all submitted a talk called How to Get Started in Open Source... You can't have all 30, right? Like it doesn't, yeah, it kind of yeah, doesn't totally matter how sense. good. Right. But if only one person submitted a talk on React and React is, you know, a very popular framework, a lot of people in our community are interested in learning about that. And that person just, you know, has a, a higher chance of getting in because of the topic they picked. So a lot of times it's not really about what the, whether it's good or bad. Sometimes it's just, you know, the numbers and, and how it worked out. Right. Yeah. I guess it pays to be like kind of a, a unique snowflake in terms of like the top that you're submitting like either being on the bleeding edge or just taking a different cut at at a topic yeah and i think the the big thing that i saw also this year is that a lot of people submitted talks that were more lectury you know it was i'm going to show you how to get started in react and for our conference specifically, I don't think that's really the right approach. I think that conference talks are much, much more interesting if it's, here is my story of how I struggle to learn React. And as I explain that story to you, I will also share some, you know, ideas of how to get started. So one of the the big advantages are um, for the people who framed their talk as a, this is what happened to me, this is what I experienced, this is what I did, versus here is a skill that I am now going to give unto you. You know, it's, it's much more relatable, much more fun if it's a personal story. Right. It's, it's harder to fall asleep during a personal story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, one of the uh, the questions actually for the review committee that I had them consider is, 
is the talk a talk or is it a blog post? Can I just read about this topic and get 90% of the information from just, you know, reading it? Or is there an advantage to having a real life human being standing in front of me sharing this knowledge and essentially performing, you know, performing this content? And if the idea doesn't have something about it that really takes advantage of the fact that it is a real in-person presentation, then it has a, a much lower chance of getting accepted. Yeah. It's interesting how complicated the idea of selecting a speaker is. I, I was looking at the speaker selection criteria for the conference that I, I got accepted to, which I was very happy about. It was my first one that I submitted to and got accepted to. Congratulations. Uh, yeah. PyCon mm-hmm. Italia. So I was nice. the only person Ooh, with, with international a too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The only person with a GraphQL talk in English. So that's that's my that's my secret. <laughs> Uh, but I was I was reading through nice. the method for selection, and it's it's open to the public to vote mm-hmm. on each talk. Uh, whoever Ooh. got a ticket, and they use some kind of like Monte wow. Carlo like Schulitz method for like there's like grids <laughs> and lesser paths for the ideal speakers. And it interesting, was, it was very complicated. I kind of like the personal approach that you're talking about because yeah. I can relate to that. Whereas this this method was like just pure science. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing too. Like for for me, I think my conference is a little bit different because we started with a community, which is the Code Newbie community, and the conference is designed with them already in mind versus other conferences, which I think start more from a, you know, I have this idea or this topic. Let me see who's interested. So in my situation, it makes a lot of sense for kind of me to have the final say because I'm I'm always going back to my community and thinking, okay, would you know, would Tiffany want to hear that talk? Would like does Michael care about that? You know, I can point to specific people in my community and make sure that would the and make sure that the talks I'm selecting, the speakers that I'm, you know, I'm I'm choosing are of interest to the community. Yeah, it's like a customer persona, except actual customers. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's funny. I remember being on the conference proposal review committee last year, and it was a really interesting experience. I was also on the conference review committee for Pi Gotham here Ah, in New York. How was that? It was super different. (laughs) It was really interesting to see how, like, wildly things vary. I didn't realize that you know, there would be so many different ways of doing it. But I, I wonder if actually their system is the same one that like PyCon Italia uses. Oh, it's it more was, like mathy. Yeah, it was like a mm. Python app. It was like a Django app that you could spin <laughs> up to run your conference selection. I mean, I guess that may speak to the community like shaping itself after yeah. like, what their yeah, goals actually. are. Like, Python, <laughs> like you, you go to the Python Stack Exchange and like, you know, they, they probably have an algorithm for that too, you know, like everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wonder if this is part of the Python, there's one right way to do a thing and they all use mm. the same Django app. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> so you've talked a little bit about the attendees, but I'm guessing that you've you've broadened the group that is coming to these and it's no longer just the like the core base of the of the Code Newbie podcast. How did you how did you handle marketing? How did you handle promotion for that? Sure. Well, the really great thing about the conference and just the community in general is we're very kind of inherently social. Like we're very, very big on social media. I'm pretty sure last year the hashtag Codeland was trending for at least one of the days. I think maybe maybe even both of the days. And so 
I've been really lucky that I haven't I haven't really had to do much marketing and promotion. The people who came last year absolutely loved it, had really great things to say. And actually I was looking at at ticket sales the other day and I think I think like 25%, maybe 30% of people who are coming this year are returning attendees, which is awesome. I was like, oh, okay, we're doing this again. Great. <laughs> so a lot of it is really word of mouth. A lot of it is, you know, the the speakers who came last year going back, you know, to their friends, their community and saying, oh my God, if you're learning to code, you definitely need to come as well. So that's the the big thing that we're we're relying on. I think it also helps that we have a second podcast this year, the BCS podcast I mentioned, you know, I'm doing the Red Hat podcast so that helps as well i'm speaking and getting myself out there so you know we've we've been growing and doing some fun stuff you know since the first conference ended so that's hopefully gonna gonna help as well yeah a lot of free advertising you have sort of built into your whole formula Mm -hmm. there i didn't realize your your attendance was so i mean that's that's great i guess madison square garden is that your next venue (laughs) <laughs> yes, that'll be happening at 2019. Look out for that. A uh, couple, what is it, the 30,000, 40,000? I don't know how big that right. thing is. Thousands of people all over the world. Bring your own pyrotechnics. <laughs> it's going to be Selling great. out the garden in a day. <laughs> Absolutely. In all seriousness, how, how did you select the venue? And what is in, what was involved in that? Like, do you have to negotiate? Is there a lot of contracting involved? No and no. It was terribly easy. It was like embarrassingly easy because I worked at Microsoft. So that that helped a lot. I knew the venue very well. I had attended different events in that same space. And so, you know, when it was time for me to pick the the venue and try and find a spot, you know, I said, oh, yeah, we should do this at Microsoft. Let's see if that's possible. Um, and so I reached out to people I knew who still work there and said, hey, is this a thing that we can do? And they said yes. And that was kind of it. Cool. So like a combination of the previous conference and like what was upcoming in the amount of attendees that would go to the next one, you can kind of think about the place where you would want to hold it. And Microsoft was the perfect opportunity and the perfect place for you to host this year's uh, conference. Well, it's the same place we hosted last year. So we did it at Microsoft last year and it worked out really well. And it's actually one of those things where we were thinking about doing another code land in San Francisco and the timing just didn't work out. But when I was scouting for venues, oh my goodness, it made me so appreciative of Microsoft. So, so, so appreciative because with a lot of other venues, you have to... I mean, sometimes they just give you an empty room, like literally an empty room, nothing. There's no chairs, there's no tables, there's no projector, there's no, there's nothing. And you have to find your own AV people, you have to find your own catering. And they have like weird rules about catering too, where, you know, you you spend 60, 100, sometimes more per meal per person because they have like these exclusive catering requirements. And so after kind of going down that, process of just you know trying to find a venue outside of uh, getting hosted at a tech company, I was like, oh man, I'm so glad. <laughs> I'm so glad that we did it at Microsoft the first time and they uh, you know they welcomed us back again this year because yeah, it's it's definitely hard. I think the venue is probably the hardest part in terms of money and just logistics. Saran, so after hearing about the success from the previous Codeland conference and the upcoming one that's happening this year in 2018, We have some questions about people who are looking forward to creating their own conferences and people who want to organize them. The first question I want to ask is, why did you create Codeland as a conference? And what were your thoughts before the inception of this conference being a thing? 
and and why would why would other people want to start a conference? Like, what what is it that gets you inspired and that you think would inspire other people to do what is really a huge amount of work, really for other people? Sure. Yeah. Let me take a, that first question first. Why did I start Codeland? Because I go to a lot of conferences. I speak at a lot of conferences, and. I, you know, from the very first one that I attended, which was RailsConf 2014, I looked around and said, wow, this is really cool. I, I want to do this. I want to create this experience for other people. I want to create this opportunity for other people. And specifically, I want to create one that caters to beginners. And I think that especially at a conference, the needs of newbies are a little bit different. There's a much higher chance if you're new that it's also your first conference. And that's that's scary. <laughs> it is uh, there's a much higher chance that you are going to get lost when someone is speaking. You know, if they're doing a demo or anything technical and they mention a library that you have never heard of before, you're you're going to feel intimidated, you're going to get lost. If they mention a bunch of buzzwords, jargon, or or even they make, you know, little inside jokes about the industry that everyone else seems to get but you. There's so many really little opportunities throughout the conference, whether it's in the hallway, at lunch, during the actual content, the actual program itself, where beginners can easily feel intimidated or just don't feel like, you know, they belong there. And so hmm. I saw that happen, you know, with me, I saw that hope happen friends of mine where, you know, I, I was still excited to be there. I still wanted to come back, but man, I I wish I wish I felt a little bit more comfortable and I wish I, I wasn't intimidated. And so yeah, I took sounds that like kind of exhausting experience to, like kind of going, to going be intimidated. Through that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, because it's like, you know, you, you want to sit at the at the grown up table and like you can't quite reach there, <laughs> you know. You could like see them and you want to join, but you can't quite sit at that table yet. And so I thought to myself, what does it look like to design a conference that prioritizes the needs of newbies. What does that mean? What does that look like? And a lot of it was around making sure you never feel lost, making sure there's plenty of opportunity to connect and network and meet other people in a genuine way. A lot of exposure to what code can do versus what the code is. So one big thing with our community specifically is we are, as code newbies, as people who are, you know, within a year or two of programming experience, we're really excited about the possibilities of code. But a lot of the examples that we see, the stories that we hear are are more about how the tech works versus what it can do and how it can be used. So I wanted to have talks that were still technical, that still showed code and had demos and all that stuff, but showed a wide range of applications for that code. So for example, we had uh, one of my favorite talks, uh, Stephanie Nemeth, uh, last year, she was the very, very first speaker. And she demoed this like art and code thing with, I think it was a Raspberry Pi. And she actually made this dress that lit up when you went to her website and you could like design your own little pixel art and it like showed up on her dress and you know that wasn't for a job or wow, you know, she's not making fascinating yeah so she was like it was interactive so cool. it was an interactive dress yeah it was awesome and that actually became like her her first experience building something like that and now i see her on twitter all the time making all these really beautiful wearable technology pieces and they're just oh it's amazing that's so uh, cool. but that's a and you yeah, would never you would never see that unless you were you like never see that. At yeah. a place like that. I, I really like, exactly. like your your idea earlier about like kind of or the approach that you're outlining earlier about how like this really started from the idea of a community 
And like this, yeah. this like kernel of an idea is something that you you built the entire thing around. Where it's like a lot of other conferences are like Python conferences. So the kernel of the idea is Python right. is Python. a thing. <laughs> exactly. But it's not really like a group of people that are specifically united. Right. Exactly. If you, if you were trying to get somebody else excited about organizing a conference like this, like what would you, or, or you know, any kind of a conference, like to create another voice for another group of people that, you know, another community that maybe doesn't have a conference yet, like what would you say? What would you say to them? It's a lot of work. It's like a crap ton of work. And it's going to be, especially when you get to the part where you try to get sponsors. Oh my goodness. It is so much work and just so much, so much follow up. You know, you're going to feel like this really annoying fly that just, you know, won't leave the room. Mm, Just like (laughs) Um, an email machine. (laughs) Just, uh, yeah, basically like you're an email machine. You're like a, can you intro me to so-and-so machine? (laughs) And, you know, the thing that's going to carry you through all those dips, those, you know, just, just, just the parts that are really frustrating is the experience that you want your attendees to have. I think like you need to be really, really, really clear about what that is. So saying, you know, I want to create a conference for people who code and love sneakers is not like that's not good enough. You need to be more specific about like what is what's the user journey? Like what's the user story of that when they walk in that code and sneaker, you know, room, what's the first thing they see? How are they going to feel when they see, you know, lunch? What is lunch going to feel like? Like, these are all things that I thought about. You know, I, I wanted our conference to feel safe. I wanted to feel like a family. So, you know, we definitely weren't going to do box lunches because that doesn't, that doesn't fit. Like you don't give your family box lunch. You give them like this really amazing spread, this buffet and you have a plate and you know what I mean? So I, I really thought about at Every single step away of the way from the moment when you walk through the doors, from just getting your, you know, picking up your badge to the moment when you leave, what do I want you to feel like? What do I want you to think? How can I make you feel like this, this, w- this was designed for you? That's awesome. And so, yeah. 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 And so like, if you're thinking, I'm really feeling fired up now. I like, I want to go and like start my own conference. I want to start a rabbit hole conference. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a good name. The rabbit hole conf. Yeah. That's, why that's not? a pretty good name. <laughs> so like, how, how would I get started? Like what's, what's the first step on my journey of starting a rabbit hole conference besides like emailing a bunch of people, I guess. That's definitely not the first step. That's like maybe the last step. That's oh, not the, the first last step. step. Okay. Um, <laughs> See, I'm or maybe like the middle step. Maybe the middle step. I think <laughs> the first step is having a clear idea of how you want everything to flow. So, you know, the first the first thing is probably like getting a venue. Because once you have a place, I think everything else just becomes easier to picture in your mind. Because once you have a place, you can say, okay, they're gonna come through, you know, these doors, they'll pick up their badge here, then they'll go to this room. You know, you can kind of map it out. And once you're able to map it out visually, then you can start thinking about the user experience and how you want them to to feel, what you want them to see. And once you have that that journey, that experience, that flow laid out, I think a lot of other things are going to fall into place. Because at that point, if you know what you're optimizing for, you have a, a much clearer idea of what types of talks you want. And then, you know, how to find those talks. You have a better idea of even what kinds of sponsors you want at that conference. Because 
the people who sponsor it are part of the user experience. You'll have a much better sense of what type of food you want to serve. Like, do you want to do food trucks? Do you want to do catering? Do you want to do box lunches? So I think that once you have a really clear idea of who the conference is for and how you want them to experience it, that's definitely step number one. And then from there, everything else will will kind of come into focus. So, so it's like a you're like crafting a vision here. That's that's like really interesting. I wonder, I wonder if you have a notion of conferences as craft, the same way that people talk about software as craft, or whether there is a community of conference organizers, you know, people who you went to for advice. Like, who who showed you the way? A bunch of people, uh, a bunch of folks who I worked with, you know, when I was the one speaking at their conference, and, or people who I was on their programming committees, and I kind of like took notes and said, okay, I like this, I want to do this a little bit differently. So, you know, folks from uh, RailsConf is absolutely amazingly well done conference, DjangoConf is one of my favorites, RubyConf, of course, so, you know, just going, RubyConf Australia was freaking amazing. So yeah, I reached out to those same people who I thought did a really good job, who, you know, I aspire to to be like in, in the conference organizing sense and said, hey, you know, this is what I'm thinking. Does this make sense? Am I totally off? Should I do this in a different order? And they were really helpful in just being guides and kind of making sure I didn't do something too terrible or too stupid. Did they give you like design patterns? And, you know, is there like a philosophy behind it the way there is with software development? No, I wouldn't say that. I think it's much more... So so the big difference between... Well, one of the many differences between software and, and conference is there's there's no like MVP of a conference. You know, like once you pick a venue and you sell your first ticket, unless something hugely terrible goes wrong, that's kind of it. And it takes a long time to plan. So I think start to finish the first Codeland took... I want to say like five months of full-time work, but spread over a year. So there's not really a, a, a big opportunity to iterate and try and test. And, you know, you you kind of, you do all this work and you really don't know until the conference happens if anything you're doing makes any sense. So in that sense, it's, it's kind of hard to call it a craft because a craft, usually you sketch and you design and you throw it away, you try it again. And, you know, it's a, it's a very iterative process. And con- at least in my experience, conferencing has not been like that. So, you know, in wrapping up, I was, I was hoping to steal one of, one of your wrap-ups and ask, mm-hmm. what's the worst advice you've ever received <laughs> oh, relating, worst. To, relating to conferences? You know, I should, I should expect this to happen when I ask everyone else that question on my podcast <laughs> that people ask me this question. But when it happens, I'm always like, oh, no. The worst, like, general advice that people generally give me when they speak about or when I tell them about Code Newbie and Code Land and stuff is that... They like what I do, and so their immediate advice is, you know, what are you going to do next, or how many more of these are you going to are you going to do? And that response, that reaction, is definitely like really good hearted, well intentioned, you know. And I, I more than appreciate that people, you know, care at all about anything that I do ever. But I took that as a sign to mean I should be doing more, and I should be doing more of this thing right here, and I should do it fast. Like I, I took that as as kind of instructions, as a directive. And what I've learned over time is just because something is good or, you know, is, is, is proving value, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a thing that you need to spend more time and energy on. And I think that, you know, mm-hmm. it makes sense when you see someone do something that you think is cool to encourage them and say, you know, like, let's do it. Let's do it again. Let's do more. Da, da, da. But I think it's also important for you to pause and go, 
that sounds like a good idea, but is that in line with my goals? Can I sustain mm-hmm. that? Can right. I afford to do that? You know, emotionally, in terms of my energy, in terms of money, does that actually make sense for my long term plans? Yeah. So, kind of, you know, like separating, understanding that people, people's excitement does not mean that that is the thing that you should do. Right. Sounds like a recipe for burnout. Yeah. 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 Much. Definitely. Definitely. Cool. That was a very knowledgeable conversation on conferences and organizing a conference. I imagine our listeners would definitely appreciate it. Saran, thank you so much for stopping on down through the airwaves and your your nice weather versus where it's currently raining right now. Thank (laughs) you so much. Do you want to give us the scoop on Codeland one more time? So, yeah, sure. Uh, Codeland is happening May 4 and 5 in New York City, hosted by Microsoft this year. So if you are interested in hanging out with an awesome community of programmers and people learning to code and talking about all kinds of awesome technical things, please come join us. Uh, Tickets are available at codelandconf.com. Awesome. Saran, and how can people reach out to you? Sure. You can email me, saran at codenewbie.org. And Twitter also works really well. My DMs are open. So just my first name and last name, Saran Yitbarik. Awesome, Saran. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks so much for uh, hanging out with us and bearing through all this this wonderful audio engineering and video conferencing problems. <laughs> like, how many software engineers does it take? More than three. More than three. Yeah, thanks again, I've so definitely really been there. you coming on. Yeah, no problem. Thanks so much for having me. Let's keep the conversation going on Twitter. Follow us now at Radio Free Rabbit. Like what you hear? Give us a five-star review. It helps developers just like you find their way into the rabbit hole. And never miss an episode. Subscribe now, however you listen to your favorite podcast. On behalf of our producer extraordinaire, William Jeffries, and my amazing co-host, Dave Anderson, and me, your host, Michael Nunez, thanks for listening to The Rabbit Hole. <laughs>